Very good. Uh, two wins. Easy. Uh, two. Easy. Easy. Yeah, it was uh, not not the finest performances United have put in. Either of them, in fact, uh, Everton could well have could well have beaten United. I think some better finishing from Luis who What did he blame the wrong kind of grass or something like that for his poor shooting? Bossed possession, had way more chances than United. United just kind of negative, I thought. And then Otelel Glassy who for, for about 85 minutes looked like they could get something out of the game at any point. Uh, and then uh, Wayne Rooney shot towards the corner flag and looped one in off a, off a defender. Absolutely. Six points, no goals conceded, three goals scored, but, but nothing really good happened in either of those two games except for the first goal against Everton and Valencia scoring against Galati. Did I say first goal against Everton? The only goal against Everton. A really poor performances all round and, I mean, at the risk of sounding like a broken record. We've got a bit of a problem with our central midfield, I think, Ed. I don't know it's a radical statement, but... Uh, oh, I don't know what you're talking no, about. Okay. I, I think Anderson was world-class, wasn't he, on, on Wednesday night? He only gave away the ball ten times in his own half. I looked at the stats. Ten times in his own half he gave away the ball. Criminal. I just oh, don't, want to, don't want to go on a rant about Anderson, because it's... it's uh, Well, it sounded like a broken record, wouldn't it? But, but uh, yeah, very poor. Uh, he, I mean, he didn't play against Everton, but that wasn't exactly great in central midfield against Everton. Everton either United just retrenched they played very very narrow and basically just handed the initiative to, to Everton who, who really should have got something out of the game I thought I, I mean I, I know Ferguson would be pleased with the clean sheet and the, the back four did play okay better than, better than had been in the past but, but United effectively ceded possession scored the goal and, and looked to keep what they got but uh, there's the pressure is really piling on at the end there all they need to do is bring on big Duncan Ferguson and he nodded one in <laughs> you, um, you said in last week show that if he doesn't pick Rio for that Everton game that's really laying a marker down it's really a really significant decision and he didn't pick Rio for that Everton game no he didn't he stuck with Johnny Evans which was maybe something of a surprise but yeah he, and then then of course he came out in midweek and, and said Rio well, I thought I mean I thought some of the press coverage was was fairly unfair of this but he, he did say Rio's lost a, a yard of pace and and has to adjust his game but uh, it was presented as a, a some kind of negative slating of Rio Ferdinand and it wasn't that at all he actually had some very positive things to say about Rio Ferdinand um, but he didn't drop, He didn't pick him for the side did he against Everton and I think that might be more significant because th- this was Rio Ferdinand fit and healthy and ready to play I and mean, he was on the bench but not, not selected so dropped on form alone so we've had a few Twitter questions in which tie into this discussion in one way or another um, and one of those questions is from Patrick Rowe 353 says do we have too many injury prone players uh, and sites Michael Owen and Rio in particular and saying would Sir Alex Ferguson have tolerated at the beginning of tolerated this at the beginning of his career when he ruthlessly cut Robson and McGrath from from the squads I, I don't think he ruthlessly cut Brian Robson I, I mean he, he had three years of Paul McGrath as well actually I mean uh, McGrath didn't leave till summer 89 so that's that's not quite true I mean the, McGrath's problem was more one of uh, one of the booze I mean <laughs> appearing on TV drunk probably did it for him uh, as it would uh, would with many managers so yeah I'm, I'm not sure about that I mean I think if Rio had suffered three years of of injuries in 2003 or so that that might have been a problem yes but but the fact is I mean he's he's had five or six years at the very well eight years at United now but but five or six years of playing 
a huge amount of games and I think he's just probably his body's just given up yeah. because uh, we've had two years now of him just you know playing about half the amount he used to play so and he's 33 and he's just going to have to accept it seems a, a different role I think the more interesting question now is if if Rio is is not necessarily first choice anymore uh, alongside Nemanja Vidic who is who is the the first choice alongside Johnny him? Evans is I'm not sure saying he should be or whether or not he should be but he is at the moment yeah I mean it's a really hard one to say that because uh, as an honest assessment I think most fans would probably say that both Smalling and Jones are ahead of, are ahead of him or would be ahead of Evans in in their assessment and I'm not sure Evans has really justified that and I, I'm I'm certainly not hypercritical of him and and I think he's performed better this season than he did last where he he just seemed to switch off for most of the season and he had all the problems with being bullied by more physically intimidating players and and some of that has changed but he's also prone to make a mistake I mean he, a huge one against Galassi where he almost gifted the goal to, to the opposition obviously got sent off in the derby I don't know what you're talking about yeah sorry yeah completely forgot about that so we're a derby free zone here on Rankcast <laughs> yeah. aren't we so I mean there are, there are issues with Evans in that you feel like he's giving a chance to the opposition again and he, he's not able, able to withstand the physical and you know Smalling's been excellent uh, I think actually on, on form alone Smalling deserves a spot in central defence and, and, and Jones has been so impressive whenever he's played although we've had the debate before that that he, he perhaps gets out of position a little bit so um, I think Evans is probably lucky to be there at the moment yeah I, I don't think he's third I think he's he's. I think if he's not the first choice partner for, for Nemanja Vidic then, then he's probably the second because I, I, I do think that Jones's Jones, Jones's excellent performances have not been about really solid impressive well organised defending you know that, that's not been what's really impressive about him he's, he's made some excellent excellent last gasp challenges very very timely interventions and all that sort of thing but he's a bit more of a um, god I was going to say John Terry type there but but I don't mean any uh, insult by that um, so that's probably not the right thing to say but you know what I mean he's he's, he's all about the gung-ho and the bluster is, is Jones whereas Smalling has just got that incredibly cool head and and he just for me I, th- I think Smalling would be if, if we're saying that Rio is no longer first choice then, then for me it's probably Smalling yeah Yes, yes, I think so. I mean, there's going to be a lot of games this season, right? 60 or something like that, depending on how United are doing the various competitions. And, and so there's an awful lot of games to be shared around amongst the defenders, and especially as if Vidic gets injured, Evans has had his problems with injury, Rio Ferdinand we've talked about already, Smalling's out for a, the next month or so. So they're, they're all going to play. The flip side of that, of course, is there's no settled defence, and that's that's a real problem. Uh, and it, it'll be great when it'll be great when Raphael's back. Maybe we can get a solid, you know, settled right back there Everett obviously plays a huge amount of games Vidic hopefully is fit for the rest of the season De Gea there's no doubts about him anymore so if we can at least get three of them three or four of them playing almost every week then that would help I was going to say how much of our current questionable form would you say is down to the fact that we haven't played with the same back four hardly twice all season well I, that, that certainly might explain some of the, the, the slack goals that United have let in uh, on occasion I mean yeah, six of them in the, the match that we dare not speak about so um, and, and other games too but but I think a lot of it's to do with the shape of the midfield so it's the, the lack of genuine balance in the central midfield areas meaning that we have this kind of hybrid system of one stays and one goes and they sometimes feel like there's not a lot of structure there and that's why the stats have been banded around that irritate Alex Ferguson so much about um, conceding a number of shots on goal and, and all of that I mean point is to have a shot on goal you need to get in the right position to do it and we're not structured quite so well in central midfield and that, that's one of the things that Ferguson tried to solve when 
uh, we went to Everton. I mean, he basically played three in there with, with Cleverly and, and Rooney and, and Fletcher sort of sitting behind them to give a little bit more structure and then the two wide men tucked in. But then, then that left Hernandez, you know, miles up front on his own and United unable to keep the ball. Yeah, I mean, we did look really, really, really good for about 15 minutes in that game. Tom Cleverly. Oh, by the way, yeah, uh, I won our gentleman's wager. You did? Yeah, uh, he, he was indeed in the starting lineup. He, he did only last an hour and, and then uh, Ferguson came out and said, oh, we don't want to rush him. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit frightening how much better we were with Tom Cleverley than without him. We appear to be completely and utterly reliant on a so far slightly injury-prone 22-year-old for all of our attacking fluency. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, he keeps the ball, which which really does help when you're a midfielder. Uh, and it's, it's something that, I mean, Fletcher does, but obviously in a less progressive way, so does so does Carrick. Uh, and Anderson doesn't. And, and the problem when Anderson's in there is that United gift possession back to the opposition. Yeah, no, OK, absolutely. But I mean, it did, it was, it was, it was great for about 15 minutes at Everton after we scored the first goal, but then it all went horribly, horribly wrong and became a really rather tedious game. Yeah, it, it really was. And, and United were hanging on. I, I mean, I don't think you could, if Everton had equalised in the last like, 10 minutes or so, I don't see why we could have any complaints, really. You know, truth, truth is, they probably deserved a draw. And, uh, you, know, you know, United bored it out for the last, last half an hour or so. And, and it was a vital win. I mean, I, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? So you just hang in there and you, you get a win however you can uh, after after what had happened the week before. And, and you know, three clean sheets in a row, three wins in a row. It's hard to ask for more than that. Yeah, no, absolutely. The Galati game, Rooney as a proper central midfielder. I mean, we, we've had the question from, uh, from our friend... Uh, at Happy Hero do we think Rooney's best position is as a striker or an attacking midfielder we had quite a lengthy conversation about this last week uh, Rooney's best position is as a striker there's, there's no absolutely no yep. doubt about that and he, he did a pretty good job against a very very average opposition in central midfield yesterday but he's not a midfielder he really isn't he's he's not trained as a midfielder he's he's learned his trade as a striker and that's what he does best you know, it'd be interesting if he was uh, in central midfield and, and the opposition actually did press him uh, whether whether he'd you know think quick enough and stuff look he's got all the talents i mean obviously he's got a great range of passing and and, and sometimes he just didn't play the simple ball he, he tried the hollywood ball a bit too often I, I thought so he's got the natural talents but why waste it i mean i know united are desperate desperate for a you know, high quality central midfielder and I, I know this is like short-term thing but but the most important thing in football and i'll, I'll quote alex ferguson here is penetration and and one of the things he said about eric Cantona, one of his my favorite quotes about Cantona is that, that Eric Cantona brought the can opener and, and that's the key thing if you're going to win matches against the very the very best opposition you need to be able to do it 30 yards and in and if you've got Rooney in central midfield and especially in a in a flat four across midfield and, and having to hold sometimes then then he's not going to be in that position and, and we're sacrificing all his many qualities in and around the box for something else and I, I think it's a complete waste and actually what you really should do if you're going to do that is either you go buy another £30 million striker to compensate or are you going by a £30 million central midfielder which what should have been done for the last three years talking of our central midfield at Jaffe Joffa says if you look at all the premiership team's best central midfield pairings where do you think United's two rate out of the 20 yeah well I mean most of them don't play with two but, but that, that minor pedantry aside fifth or sixth yeah so I mean if you had City a mix of of Torre De Jong Silver I mean they're very fluid aren't they City so it's hard to say what is a central midfielder I think City's midfield options 
generally are stronger than United at the moment. Chelsea, in, interesting with Chelsea because they, they are they are trying to evolve their side and, and so I, I don't know that their central midfielder options are that much. I mean, Morelles, uh, Lampard, Mikel, Ramirez, it's not really going to frighten too many people, is it? I don't it? know, SEN. SEN, but SEN's going to miss most of the season with uh, yet another knee injury and that's his second big one. So yeah. it, we'll, we'll see whether he comes back. And SEN is obviously a fine, fine player. Top player, one United really missed out on, but, but right now he's not fit. No, and in fairness, he hasn't been fit for most of the time that he would have been at United had we not missed out on him, so, you know. Tottenham, Tottenham have a great range of talent, obviously the world's greatest player, TM, uh, on the left wing there, and, and then a whole bunch of other players who, are, who kind of flit in and out of form and fitness, so Huddleston can be excellent, Sandro had a really good back end of last season, Raphael van der Vaart's on absolute fire at the moment, Lennon we know blows hot and cold, so. We're just, we're just talking about the central midfield though, and I I think I think you know in in theory Tottenham's best two central midfielders on their day are better than our best two central midfielders on their day. Yeah, I th- look if if we struggle to beat Norwich at home and had a whole a whole bunch of problems last season obviously away from home uh, and end up packing the midfield. Ferguson knows that he has a problem in central. Midfield. Scott Parker and Raphael van der Vaart is a you know it's a, it's a bit well van yeah van der Vaart. It's not really tends to oh, Modric, Modric and that, Parker then you know that's yeah oh god I didn't even I forgot those two Modric and Parker yeah there's a there's a bit of talent there it's it's you know the the Scott Parker question there was a there was talk of him obviously because he was available for very decent price in the summer and everyone sort of laughed it off you know oh Scott Parker as if he's good enough for United but you know he seems to have stepped up a little bit going to Tottenham and I I don't know I just I, I do think it's I do think I I don't think we'd be worse off if we had Scott Parker in the, in the squad no I mean I guess he would have been a replacement for Owen Hargreaves who, who hasn't really been a replaced has he I mean the thing with Scott Parker is he's kind of all round midfielder I, I wouldn't really call him a specialist defensive midfielder I, I think he'd be competing you know, for a place in the side with Darren Fletcher and if Darren Fletcher's fit then then uh, and he'd fit a, and the player of two years ago then he's a he's a very good player for United and so that would tell you we might not need that kind of player we might need a specialist defensive player there's not that many of them about are there really but but we're right at the moment we're probably the only side in the premiership that doesn't play with the one yeah yeah no it's uh, it's it's the whole thing's very upsetting. <laughs> the whole the whole midfield question. We're, we're just a long way short in that area. And we're incredibly talented in other areas of the squad. And that's why that paper's over the cracks, you know. Last season's incredible achievement of winning a record 19th Premier League, well, 19th top flight title. It wasn't exactly samba football, you know. We, ha- we really suffered in central midfield all last season. And we had Paul Scholes to call on from time to time. And he's not around this season. I mean, Darren Gibson got quite a few games last season. Yeah. Anyway, broken record, isn't it? Us and the, the central midfield. We've just had another question in. Uh, this one from Michelle Chikwan, at Michelle Chikwan, saying, I know we need a midfielder. Yeah, I agree. Um, but who in the world can we get realistically? So, Ed, you, you put a, a, an article up. Was it this summer that you put an article up about all the different central midfielders we could yeah, get? Yeah, and I think it's been talked about ad, ad nauseum, really. Yeah, yeah. There, there are central midfielders out there. Every time one becomes available, uh, and even some at very decent prices we don't seem to bid on it I, I don't know whether Fergie's got a mental block about it or really does believe in, in Tom Cleverley but uh, right now I think frankly anybody would be doing, would be a, an improvement it's frustrating because I don't feel like I just want to criticise all the players but it does feel like every single one of United's central midfielders had a massive question mark over them even Cleverley who's been outstanding when he's played has a question mark because he's consistently injured it's not as if the injury this season is you know, the first time this has happened he actually spent quite a bit of last season injured quite a bit of the season before 
friend who'd had a bad knee injury and, and all of that so that might tell you something he's also young Anderson inconsistent Carrick passive Fletcher got the AIDS all of this it's got a it, it's a it's a real problem right and they're not they're questions that are not going away <laughs> No, those questions are not going away, um, and hopefully he'll do something about it in January. Uh, do you think we'll be getting rid of some players in January? It, it seems unlikely. I mean, it, it's not, it's not a, traditionally a time that Fergie wants to do a lot of business. I mean, I know we've had a few Ever and Vidic and uh, Andy Cole came in January, didn't he? But but traditionally speaking, he hasn't really either brought in loads or shipped out loads in the middle of the season. I'd be really surprised if he wants to disrupt his squad too much. I we we think presumably that Makeda will he'll try and find a loan signing for Makeda. He's got to. I mean, the guy's just rotten at the moment isn't he yeah Pogba potentially a loan loan thing not impossible uh, this is this is sorry this is a question and some suggestions from at DPR 76 uh, presumably Gibson and Kujak will be definitely for sale in uh, January you would have thought if anyone wants to come in for them yeah they were for sale for before uh, Kujak uh, apparently they were asking £4 million for him and, and Gibson uh, the, the move to Sunderland breakdown and then he got injured so yeah I guess I guess that the pair of them are for sale I mean they're not really part of the squad anymore are they so uh, I suppose they do have squad numbers because United's actually got a, quite a lot of B-list players at the moment, you know, the younger players under 21 so that don't count. So, um, yeah, I suppose they'll go, but uh, we can't really count them as part of Fergie's planning at the moment, can we? No, uh, he, he would like Bastian Schweinsteiger to sign for us. I think yes, we'd all when, like when that. Yes, wouldn't we all? Uh, he is a fine, fine player, but uh, signed a new five-year contract last October. He's with Bayern Munich. Very few players leave Bayern Munich uh, who haven't failed in some way. So I, I'd be really, really surprised if that happened. It would take a huge fee for a player who's nearly 30. So um, I would say somewhere between slim and no chance with that. Yeah, no, absolutely. It, it's uh, Bayern Munich, one of the best sides in Europe this season. I, I don't see why he would want to leave them Really. Yeah, Mario Gomez on fire at the moment. He's a player who couldn't hit the back of a cow with a banjo last season, but um, suddenly, suddenly banging them in from all angles. Interesting. Right. It's been a time of reminiscence and celebration. You've been banging your head uh, against a brick wall trying to get out this month's Rant Monthly, which will probably be out the same day as this podcast, if not the day after. And the thing that's been on all of our minds is the 25th anniversary in charge of Manchester United of Sir Alex Ferguson unbelievable achievement everything everything about it the, his longevity the amount of trophies he's had the the amount of players he's managed to boot out the club by uh, by arguing with them the amount of enemies he's got the number of bands he's got the arguments he's had it, it, he's uh, an incredible character who has completely transformed United from the ground up he completely rewrote United's youth policy he completely transformed the club as an institution I, there's no doubt about that he's way more than a coach what United is today the billion pound global brand franchise thing that it is is it in much uh, down to Ferguson and, and the building he did and the transformation of the club and, and so as fans we owe him an awful lot for all the mem- great memories for the, the fact that you know we're sitting in a wonderful stadium and get to watch great players every week and we're winning trophies all the time flip side of that of course is the legacy and the question marks about his continued and very vocal support for the Glazer family which not everyone thinks is a problem of course but but many United fans and uh, your your piece for this month's run monthly got it spot on there I think I think memories of the the trophies and the glory will outlast memories of the the kind of bitter aftertaste left with Ferguson's vocal support for the Glazer family unnecessarily divisive I think at times but but there you go very complex character he is a very complex character I find him genuinely fascinating I'm, I'm generally intrigued by the human condition and what drives people and those sorts of things and and 
and the, what drives Alex Ferguson is a very interesting question and, and you know I think it's pretty clear that he's driven ferociously by a desire to succeed but there is a complexity to that he does have a, a true humanitarian side and you know he's not an automaton who's driven to succeed and, and just will cut it loose you know the, the because of his, his high profile fallings out with some players people think that you know his desire for success will mean he'll do anything he'll cut anyone out but it's it's not even as simple as that because if it was just a desire for success he would never have got rid of Yap Stam in particular um, that that was that was a personal thing it, it's a, you learn a lot about yeah you learn a lot about Ferguson by looking at the arguments don't you and and some of it's about the team I mean we talked earlier about Paul McGrath he got rid of Paul McGrath because McGrath didn't stop drinking and, yeah. and, and it, ditto in a way Whiteside uh, who had a drink problem as well but was also injured consistently uh, but he kept Brian Robson he he got rid of Reed Van Nistelrooy because he had an argument with Ronaldo and he basically had to choose between them in, interesting one that he couldn't kind of solve that problem but he got rid of Gordon Strachan because he couldn't trust him and there's, there's in, in that you see a pattern of, of the need for control and yeah. uh, I mean he said there's nothing wrong with getting angry I get angry all the time um, and, and the hairdryer I'm paraphrasing here and the hairdryer comes out when people question my authority you can never question my authority I always have to win an argument and uh, that's part of it too and, and sometimes as with Stam he made a decision there that was based on his personal relationship with the player and, and not the benefit of the club and, and you know, that, that hasn't always been productive for United I'd like to come on to talking about some of the, the more positive sides of, of Sir Alex's reign rather than leave it on on this topic but I think the fact that he has sided effectively with the Glazers over the fans uh, who were protesting against the Glazers which is not all the fans of course but over those who were protesting you know we talked we've talked about it being a function of self-interest it could also be that the slightly more positive spin on that is that he want he trusts himself to helm the situation better than anyone else could and the way that he's had to do that is by siding with the Glazers you know take making a very public his view that the green and gold campaign was a distraction and uh, you know unwelcome and not necessary because the Glazers were perfectly good owners you know um, and and, and I, I do wonder about whether that's that's also wrapped up in all this stuff around control and you know it's not for other people to decide it's for Sir Alex to decide and he is Manchester United you know so if he thinks they're alright they're alright and if they let him still be in charge then United will still be alright regardless of you know I mean I I don't know how much Fergie knows about a bit dar, but at some point, any right-thinking person can see that the future of Manchester United is in worse hands than it was because of the level of debt associated with the club. But he's never addressed that. And you could say, why could, why should he? You know, if you're if you're the CEO of a corporation who's bought out by another corporation, you're not going to start slagging them off, are you? You know, assuming they want to keep you in post. Of course, and the, and those arguments are valid. I think he went one step further than that, though, and and he was completely divisive with the fans and. And it's not that he disagrees with the argument put forward by groups such as Must and, and people who are worried about the, the debt. It's that he doesn't even accept premise of the argument. And, and that's a problem. I mean, the, his reaction to FC United, uh, you know, that rabble, uh, those people who are just out to self-publicity and f*** off and watch Chelsea if, if you don't like the ticket price. And all of that kind of reaction, it's, it's repeated and it's over years uh, that he doesn't even accept that there's a, a basis for protest. And... 
and, and that is a problem and I understand why there are groups of people who are pretty angry about that because one of the things about Ferguson was that he was a man of the people I mean he, there's the, a quote where he says I've always tried to be a, a bridge between the fans and the club and somewhere along the line that bit got lost and he became the club and it doesn't doesn't take away from what he's done as I said at the start of this he's, he built the club in, in terms of what it is genuinely you know Manchester United is far far better for Alex Ferguson and, and uh, everyone owes him all their memories and all that but but it doesn't mean that transformation didn't happen. No but I mean I think he in the last season I mean the the bow to the Stretford end he was been, he, he's been very vocal about how much he's appreciated the team's support and said that the team actually relied on it last season and he doesn't say that sort of thing that often. No. So that that you do I do wonder if he's trying to rebuild that those some of those bridges. The way he handled Neville and Scholes's retirements was very fan oriented as well. I thought he was very you know very concerned about you know he talked a lot about their relationship with the fans and all those kinds of things and mm. and that you know so I think he's he's making a conscious effort to address that. Listen, let's all that stuff said and I think it's important to say all that stuff. Being a United fan over the last 25 years has been absolutely amazing because of Alex Ferguson. You know, he he, he other other fans of other teams hate Alex Ferguson because he he is to them what like Kenny Dalglish is to us only incredibly successful. You know, he's a kind of oh don't mention those two men <laughs> in the same sentence. Oh God. Well, uh, you know, he's 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 very spiky. The the years of the ban of with the BBC and all that stuff. But as a United fan on the inside, Glazer stuff aside, he's been absolutely amazing. You know. Oh right, absolutely. Thirty six trophies. I mean, it's incredible. Thirty six trophies. And this, this uh, remember when Ferguson came to the club, one major trophy since 1968. So, and 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 um, you know, by the time United finally won the, the first, well, the Premier League in, in 93, it had been 26 years. So it's complete transformation. I mean, uh, all the success. There's a generation of United fans have grown up knowing nothing but Fergie, nothing but you know, un, unmitigated success. You know, save for a couple of seasons where nothing was won. Uh, we've had 25 years of trophy after trophy after trophy. Yeah, well, I mean, there's potentially. People People that have got, you know, 10-year-old children. <laughs> no, they probably, like, let's go with a less young age. Say five-year-old children, you know, who uh, they were not even born when Fergie took over, you know. Do you remember the day? I, I remember the day that Fergie took over. I was only a kid. What year was it? 25 years, so 1986. 86, yeah. Um, so I was nine years old. You were 10 or 11. I, I remember it pretty well. I remember I always sort of liked Ron Atkinson's big friendly face when I was a, a, an innocent child. So I, I was a bit sad to see him sacked my, my understanding of the nuance of his lack of control over a, an out of control alcoholic dressing room probably probably wasn't as sophisticated as it might have been but yeah I, I remember being a bit sad about it this this sort of angry looking Scottish chap taking over from friendly old Big Ron but I, I, I soon grew to love him and when I, I remember reading in Shoot magazine or Match magazine about what he'd done at Aberdeen and you know this incredible success with a club that just wasn't I was not before or since anywhere close to being a successful club Oh yeah, no, I, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I, I like Big Ron. I mean, not not least the couple of cup final victories, which were thoroughly enjoyable and, and all of that. But yeah, I remember the day Fergie came in. I mean, it happened. It happened all on one. 
one day, right? You know, Atkinson sacked and Fergie in on the same day. I mean, I mean, I wonder how much the board really understood about what what Ferguson would do to the club. I mean, I mean, I guess it's uh, he didn't come in and say I'm going to turn United into a multi-billion pound multinational organisation <laughs> uh, and uh, and all of that. I mean, uh, he clearly short-term goal stabilise the club. You know, medium, longer-term goal win the league. Win the league. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but all, all this all this stuff about you know beating Liverpool, knocking him off the perch came much later. I mean, it's uh, I think it's it's pretty misquoted that one. But it's um it, he had he I, I guess I guess he had a plan. But um I wonder how much the board knew about how much Ferguson would really want to shake things up. And uh, I mean, be- because in in many ways the club was decaying. Old Trafford was not the sparkling, lovely, neat Old Trafford that it is today. And Stratford End was falling down. The, the the bank account was empty effectively because they'd they'd sold. Um, Mark Hughes the year before had to sell him because the club were going bankrupt Ferguson came in didn't have the money he wanted I mean didn't he try to sign Peter Beardsley in his first year in charge didn't he and didn't have the money outbid by Liverpool and, and couldn't couldn't bid on John Barnes and, and a whole load of stuff um, so there's there's a good argument to say that the club was falling to pieces and uh, and but I just wonder whether the board really knew whether, how much this man would change things uh, you know I'm, I'm not sure uh, Martin Edwards is that kind of visionary although apparently Bobby Charlton really fought hard to, to get Ferguson so it was a good decision I mean one of the you know his record was unbelievable his record at Aberdeen you know it, it, it really is just winning the Scottish League nobody since Aberdeen apart from Celtic or Rangers has won, has won or even really got particularly close to winning and that's in the 25 years that he's been that Fergie's been with us you know um, they won cups there was of course the famous famously the year where he got very upset and refused to celebrate and got angry because they didn't win the cup well enough I think some of that incredible fire has gone out of him as as he's got older and more successful, they had European success as well. This is you know yeah, yeah. unheard of. So I guess it, it maybe the board just saw him as you know saw the success on the pitch. You've you've been doing a lot of research and and reading up about Fergie a lot in in the last couple of weeks. W- what would you say were the absolute key turning points? Because that Mark Robbins goal is often cited, but that's a, a sort of nonsense, really. Yeah, I, I I think that's become a cliche, hasn't it? So yeah, I, I mean winning winning that cup cl- clearly a massive thing I mean the, the the replay Ferguson's decision to drop Jim Layton after the the cup final and, and play Les C. Lee for the replay and managing uh, Lee Martin's goal won it for United it's a massive turning point I mean it was a trophy right it was the first trophy since the cup in 85 uh, and so key absolutely key that, that United did that and I think for for some of our younger listeners uh, if you'll excuse the ridiculous patronising of a, a person sounding old in their mid 30s the FA Cup really 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 meant something then yeah there was it was not what it is now it was a it was a significant trophy so for Ferguson uh, interesting he, he said this that he, he thought one of the big problems with United uh, was that the club had had a cup, cup team mentality there was no expectation after 20 years of not winning the league that United would win the league and just putting some kind of challenge in was acceptable and uh, the fans were looking forward to, to winning cup competitions and for him although that gave the club confidence and obviously they went on to win the cup winners cup the next year and then put in a, a challenge for the championship and uh, you know it still took a few years after after that, didn't it? three years after the cup final win to, to win the league so that was for Ferguson it was absolutely key but it was 
first step along the line and then and then you, you there's other really key moments obviously the another cliche i know but but uh, steve Bruce's double header against sheffield wednesday about 87 minutes into injury time uh, and that just turned around that season and and if united lost that game there was every chance that the club would have blown it like the year before so um so that was absolutely key in in terms of uh, ferguson and then there's there's been the key decisions uh, uh signing eric Cantona. yeah obviously uh, and and the the really random nature that came about and later on the the fact that he he trusted in youth and mid 90s you know flooded the team with younger players and, and got rid of some of the older generation despite the the polls in the manchester evening news and all of that and and uh, and he's always been prepared to take a gamble I mean, in fact he waited on rude didn't he for a year because he he thought that would you know he was that important to united and, and he was 150 goals in 200 games so so some yeah some real key, key moments there in ferguson's tenure yeah no absolutely the Cantona signing oh, I, re- I remember that day so well I just uh, just remember hearing the news and like doing a double take and punching the air and I was at sixth form college at the time and just it was just you just could not believe it had happened because Eric was you know we'd lost the, the league and it had been really painful and it had looked like you know it, it, so close and yet so far and all that stuff and Eric had been such an important player for Leeds and he was so phenomenally gifted and when he when he came to us he, he it just it all I mean I, th- I think more than anything else that one single signing of Eric Cantona has defined Ferguson's time ever since really I mean he signed other incredibly significant players I mean the list goes on and on and on but Roy Keane Wayne Rooney you know huge signings Cristiano Ronaldo my goodness but the signing of Cantona sowed a seed that the, all the all the kids all talked about watching Cantona in training and just like he just carried on training after training finished and so they all wanted to be like Cantona so they all carried on training after training finished and just the mentality of success and all that kind of stuff was, it was such a huge huge part of the club and then and it, that's kind of fed on to fed on to the next generation of Ferguson teams and like Ryan Giggs's career has been so influenced by Eric Cantona and everything that everyone that's come to the club since Giggs has been an elder statesman has been super influenced by Ryan Giggs' right. professionalism so so, you know, I, I I really think that was a huge turning point. Cantona was a real catalyst, yeah. And, and there was some luck in it, wasn't there? I mean, he, yeah. he, you said he'd been fine at Leeds, but he'd, uh, he was basically on strike at Leeds and, and put in a transfer request and all that and, and had Wilkinson called up to try and buy Dennis Irwin. Another fabulous signing, uh, you know, £700,000 or something from Oldham and played over 10 years for United. So. Isn't that brilliant? And you'd love to be a fly on that wall in that conversation where how Wilkinson rings up. Ring, 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 ring. Hello, Sir Alex, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you, Howard Wilkinson. How are you? Because that's how he talks in my head. Can I, can I buy Dennis Irwin? No, you can't buy Dennis Irwin. He's way too good. How are you today? What's How's the missus? Oh, by the way, any chance of selling us Cantona? Oh, definitely. You can definitely have him. Please take him off our hands. You know, I, I think that's basically how it went, word it's, for word. It's uh, Wallace and Gromit meets Ramsey <laughs> Nesbitt. Somewhere, somewhere along the line there, isn't it? It's essentially, that's essentially what happened in that conversation. Uh, um, yeah, inc- incredible. I mean, that's, it, it brings me to an, an, another point about Ferguson. I mean, he's obviously had some incredible success in the transfer market, but some incredible failures as well. And, uh, but if you think about Erwin and Cantona and Schmeichel and Steve Bruce, uh, all bargain buys, Oli Solskjaer. Yeah. Uh, and then, then some of the others, you know, obviously record signings like Pallister and Ince and, and Keane in the early days and then on to Rio and, and Rooney, uh, Rooney and, and all of that. But and but there's also been a, a penchant for buying the absolute mediocre. And you just kind of wonder where 
where it's come from. I mean, where did signing Eric Jemba Jemba figure? Liam Miller. Liam Miller, Cleberson, Jordi Cruyff, uh, Carol Poborski. I mean, there's been some spectacular failures, haven't there? I mean, I don't really class Veron in there because he was a you know, hugely, massively talented player and it just didn't quite work out. And ditto Berbatov in many ways. But, but just some real mediocrity. And you just kind of wonder, hang on a minute, how did this happen? Well, I mean, I think the fact that it's happened so often is, is what we said on this podcast. Uh, we said it last week. Uh, I, I say it all the time. He's an incredibly successful gambler. And being an incredibly successful gambler is not about winning all the time. It's about winning bigger when you win than losing when you lose. You know? Yep. And and Oligona Solskjaer, every every Solskjaer or Hernandez makes up for, you know, a Mame Biram Duf or, you know, a Peter Davenport. Maybe that's harsh on Peter Davenport. who's an important first-team player for some time. But, you know, every every, every successful central midfielder, every Roy Keane in his prime makes up for a Jemba Jemba and a Liam Miller and a, you know, and you you, t- you take punts, you take lots of little punts and, and some of them pay off and some of them don't. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo was a similar price to Anderson and, you know, one of them went on to be the best player in the world and the other one went on to be Cristiano Ronaldo. That was, that was a little joke there about how Anderson's not actually very good. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. it's, 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 it's speculative. He's a, he's a great speculator, Ferguson is. And, you know, he, he took the, the, the gamble of all gambles when he sold Mark Hughes and Paul Ince and Andre Konchalskis in the same summer to make room in the first team for a bunch of kids. Yes. And and, and that was the gamble that paid off more than, you know, more than any other. And his bank account. Uh, uh, no, no. He was just, he was just, he was just keeping hold of the money, making sure it's safe, right? Just, yeah, safe, in a safe. The question must come up about uh, Fergie's replacement and wonderful thing happened in the past week. Solskjaer has won it. Molde have won the Norwegian, hold on, hold on, I'm going for it. Tipoli gain. That's, that's my guess. I don't think that's probably not pronounced right, but, but incredi- just, just pretend you're the Swedish chef on the Muppets <laughs> and then say it. Tipoli gain. There you go. <laughs> so, so yeah, a phenomenal achievement uh, for a young manager winning the league with a club that haven't ever won the league in their 100 years uh, of existence. Yeah, it's a f- it's fairy tale, really, isn't it? It's their centenary year and they've managed to, to win the league uh, with a few games to go. So no, Fantastic achievement for Oli and obviously Ferguson, very huge amount of praise from this week saying he's very analytical and he always knew he'd be a good coach and he's a real student of the game and all that and, and some wise words as well saying he, he shouldn't rush to, to leave and, and uh, too right I think I, think, I don't think Oli will rush to leave it sounds like he's got a sensible head on his shoulders doesn't he and uh, I think he'd like to have a shot at the Champions League next season as well and, and uh, he's done it with some not only did he had a couple of years in the reserves learning his trade but he, he's stolen a couple of coaches as well so he's got a couple of ex-United coaches with him and, and Magnus Wolf Eichram as well, actually United midfielder back at the club. Maybe maybe we'll take Mami Bram Duyuf back because he was quite good when he was in Norway. He was. It's uh, like scoring a lot of goals in the Dutch league, isn't it? Yeah, I, I I do wonder. You know, there's a lot of a lot of Fergie's teams, a lot of Fergie's ex players have gone on to become managers uh, with very mixed fortunes, really. Very very little fortune. <laughs> well, I I mean, you know, there's there's a finite amount of success to go around, and a lot of them have managed in England where they've had to compete with Sir Alex if they actually want to win anything and you know I guess uh, none of them have really really achieved too much I mean Alec McLeish getting uh, getting Birmingham City into Europe was quite an impressive achievement Steve Bruce has never really shone but then totally disastrous anywhere he's been Roy no, Keane no and he's, he's still he's still in a job he did a decent job at Birmingham and he's still in a job at Sunderland although under a lot of pressure I'd say right now yeah I'm also slightly concerned about Steve Bruce's health because he does not look well at all no 
Well, he's always been big boned. No, but uh, he just uh, it's a very high pressure job, and he, I'm I'm worried about Steve Bruce's blood pressure. I, I hope he's looking after himself, old Brucey. As football managing is a pretty thankless task, um, you know, if you're not actually winning all the time. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, Keane, you were going to mention. Yeah, I mean, there's I mean, some speculation he might take over Leicester, although I mean, there's uh, take over the pinch of salt. He's uh, he's had a mixed mixed job. Did a good job with Sunderland, and then walked out on them, which was uh, which was probably a mistake in retrospect, wasn't it? Because he went to Ipswich, and that didn't really work out either. No, I I, I mean, I, I think I think there's still a chance that Keane could learn to be a really good football manager in the long run, because I think he does have some of the right characteristics. But I I I, I think it's going to be very difficult for him because because of you know how how insanely driven towards success he is, and and how it's going to be quite difficult for him to be surrounded by players who are not as good as he was. You know, I mean, there there is that thing, and it's a, a, such a cliche, but the you know Mourinho, Ferguson, Wenger, all very average footballers. Um, well, I mean, for, no, Fergie was pretty successful, wasn't he? But he Ferguson wasn't. Scored a couple hundred goals at a, a decent level, you know. And yeah, a, it, a cap or something at B level. But so. he's not one of the greats, is he? By any no. any stretch, he's no, he's certainly not what Roy Keane is. Um, and and it's interesting about Solskjaer because because Solskjaer, you know, he's a folk hero at United, of course, and was an incredibly talented player. But you know, he he was used as a substitute a, a great deal. He he doesn't have a, a you know he he wasn't one of the top names in the world of football. You know, he, do you know what I mean by that? Right. Yeah. No. No. He had a, he had a fine career, but but yeah, three hundred and sixty-six games, one hundred and fifty of which were were off the bench. Yeah. So exactly right. So I I think. You know, I'm a bit of an old soppy romantic as it is, but but Ollie is one that you really genuinely could see as being a United manager in ten years' time. Yeah, yeah. Um, it'd be it'd be interesting to see because I mean, for, for we talked we talked about the appointment of Ferguson. Uh, you wonder whether uh, the United board would make an appointment like that now, a, a, a manager either at a lesser club or a regional club who's yeah. achieved some success doesn't quite fit with where the club is now, and you you kind of suspect they'll go for a really big name, and obviously. Mourinho's the the obvious one there, um, so it, it it might well take Oli having some early success in Mulder, and then maybe he'd be the the candidate after the next one or something like that, or the one after the one. I mean, obviously, Busby to Ferguson, there were there were quite a few failures in there, weren't there? There were. I mean, uh, and and Busby was an incredibly difficult act to replace, and Ferguson is a harder act to replace than even Samat was. Yes, it's it's going to be. I mean, like I said there's a generation of United fans that have grown up with Ferguson. There, there's, there might, we might well have to face the fact that uh, after this, we have no right to to win. I mean, silverware's almost been guaranteed, hasn't it? And and then we're in the situation now when Ferguson retires. Of, I mean, I'm sure he'll leave the squad in a, a, a very healthy state, but potentially still a debt-ridden club, uh, potentially competing with forces uh, that have you know sovereign wealth um, just down the road, and, and all of that. It might be a, might be not quite a full circle, but it might well be a, another time where it's very challenging time for United to be successful yeah absolutely I, I mean I think in some ways you know that th- there are some there are some differences I mean that the finances are precarious but then the club is also an absolute money-making machine um, it's so commercially successful but that does rely on the success on the pitch doesn't it you know yeah yeah all of it but but uh, anyway you know much like the commenter on iTunes this week who said that we're uh... clueless what he said was not that I've memorized this he said he said uh, avoid that was his review uh, on iTunes uh, these two make it embarrassing to support Manchester United they're clueless glory hunters absolutely the Ron Atkinson years uh, prove proved that um, if if nothing else we're, we're clueless glory hunters who've never been north of the Watford Gap I, I pretty 
pretty sure we were both raised north of the Watford Gap, weren't we, Ed? I'm pretty sure that's the case. I'm not even sure where Watford Gap is, actually. Isn't it? A, but, it's you know. a service station on the M6. But yeah. Awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, and he also said that in a couple of years' time, no doubt, we'll be supporting City. So, Ed, I'll see you at Eastland. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but th- all that is by way of saying uh, we would really appreciate it if you could throw us up a positive review on iTunes, as quite a few of you already have, which we which we really sincerely appreciate. And, you know, haters got to hate. <laughs> they certainly have. I, I think it was directed at you. To be well, fair. Uh, in fairness, out of the two of us, I'm, I'm the one who is closest to being clueless about Manchester United. Well, I, I don't know if our, if our predictions of the last few weeks are anything to, to go by. I'm pretty clueless myself. I don't think I got too many of them right. Oh, what did we say? I, I think I might have I've predicted a one-all draw at Everton. So uh, there you go. I got that totally wrong. And, and uh, uh, God knows what I predicted with Galati game. It's certainly better than it, it actually was. We're playing Sunderland on Saturday. I think it's Saturday. I guess we'll win that game. Sunderland have been really, really struggling so far this season. They they have been really, really struggling. It'd be interesting to see what, what side Fergie puts out uh, because, I mean, obviously we talked about the back four. That, that'll be an interesting one. Central midfield. Um, <laughs> obviously, no Cleverly, no Carrick. Uh, could bring Park Ji Sung in there. He kind of hinted that. I saw one of the interviews post-game last night. He hinted at that. Park will play. Obviously, Ashley Young's still out. Chris Smalling's still out. So, a um, few question marks in midfield. Does he play Rooney in there again or move Rooney further forward and, and bring Park in central midfield? Well, that's, that's one of the major choices, I think. I think you. I suspect he might play Rooney uh, in central midfield. I think he probably will. Well, yeah, we, we'll see. I mean, Welbeck and, and Hernandez both fit. Berbatov obviously wants a game. Oh, uh, Berbatov. Owen has knackered his thigh. Will be out for quite some time, I suspect, with that one. And yeah, Berbatov, after all that positive showing against Aldershot, yeah, pretty average game against Osilol Galati. Yeah. Uh, it's so sad it's so sad and it's really frustrating to see I guess people who really like vociferous defenders of Anderson might find a similar sort of thing frustrating but it's really frustrating to see people make these kind of sweeping statements about Berbatov being rubbish in the face of a performance like that when you know it's so so much of Berbatov's United career has been defined by a lack of consistent appearances in the first team and just never really being used to his strengths a team that doesn't really play in a way that suits him and never really has. You mentioned Veron earlier. It really is a very similar situation, I think. And 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 some of those really poor performances from Berbatov are, are a function of of how little he gets to properly express himself and use his, his yep. kind of talents. That's what I think. Anyway, but I, I guess he won't play against Sunderland after no, that no, performance. No, no, probably not. Um, so prediction for the game? Ah, oh, we'll probably win, won't we? Most likely. We're at home. We're good at home. This is, this is the insightful level of uh, analysis that you've come to expect from the two of us. Um, yeah, prediction. Uh, let's say two-one. Another sketchy performance. Yeah, from I, 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 hard to. See, I find it hard to predict a, a really fluid performance. I mean, obviously, Cleverly's out, and and uh, United's fluidity seems to revolve around him at the moment so uh, yeah uh, one nil one nil okay uh, and then it's international break uh, so there'll be no rank cast next week uh, I'm having an international break myself and going on holiday to Wales but but also there, there's no United uh, game next weekend to preview so we, we'll look back at the Sunderland game the week after all United squad basically in one way or another that are fit will be in action in international football yeah pretty much Ed. except Rooney probably won't play for England I mean obviously he, of he's, course. he's banned from the championship so it seems like um, Capello will, will uh, Try some other options out there. Might 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 mean a game for Welbeck.
Yeah, um, interesting. It'd be interesting to see if... I guess Rooney will be in the squad and maybe on the bench, because that's what Capello said he would do. Seems ridiculous to me. Just either... I don't know. I, I don't know what I'd do if I was Capello, really. I think a three-match ban means it really will be difficult to make Rooney a significant part of the planning. You kind of have to just build an England side that works without him. Not easier said than done, by Definitely easier said than done. And uh, England plays Spain, I think, in midweek, and then Sweden, or maybe the other way around might be Sweden and Spain uh, apparently uh, there are very few tickets have been sold for the Sweden game well what a surprise uh, there I mean it's uh, not exactly a massive draw is it so um, hopefully hopefully no injuries that's that's what I'd like to take out of international break and obviously a couple of weeks further on for Ashley Young and Chris Smalling to get themselves fit yeah and and some goals for our goal scorers I think is important as well I think especially like I think playing for Mexico is very meaningful to Hernandez so that, that'd be very very good to see yeah. Yeah. Him, him getting a couple as he almost certainly will because uh, that's what that's, he does that's what he does so. alright uh, we'll do this again uh, some point in the future shall we a couple Ed? of weeks time and uh, have a good break enjoy the international football if you can <laughs> I mean I, I, find it, I find it hard to be that enthusiastic about it but there, there's probably some good games somewhere around Europe yeah and before that there's a, a United are in action against Sunderland you can tweet me at UTD Rantcast thank you very much to the almost 3,000 of you who are doing that now and and you can join the, what is it, 150,000 followers uh, of Ed? <laughs> not, not, not quite. I think there's 12,000 fools out there who, who do follow my ramblings. At United Rant, Ed will be churning out, sorry, not churning out, delicately carving out of uh, rock uh, magical words for you to read on United Rant over the next couple of weeks. Rant Monthly will be out today, Ed? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that today or tomorrow or thereabouts. So, so plenty to keep you occupied in the two weeks where there'll be no podcast. But yeah, we'll be back the week after next. And I, for one, am looking forward to See it. See you then.